lively group this morning. If you'll please stand with us and <clears throat> sing along. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope and no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, as was redeemed, only beauty remains. And my orphan heart was given.
I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And then verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. When we gather on Sunday mornings, ultimately we are exalting the name of Jesus. But in exalting the name of Jesus, my prayer is you are encouraged as we commend his works from one generation to another. Amen? So be encouraged this morning as we sing, as the preaching of God's word, be encouraged. And before we continue any further in our service, will you take a moment and encourage those around you and welcome them here?
All right, if you will return to your seats, you can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, Northside Baptist Church. We are thankful that you are here to worship with us. Uh, it's an exciting day. Uh, it's an exciting time in Northside as it kind of begins what will be our fall schedule into the spring and really kind of get into the swing of things. And we'll talk more about that schedule at the end uh, of the service. But good morning. We're glad that you are here. If this is your first time here or maybe first time in a while, uh, thank you for coming. We believe nothing happens by accident, so we believe that uh, the Spirit of God brought you here, led you here, and we pray that you will see that we, above anything, love Jesus, want to exalt Jesus Christ, that we believe in his name, and we just want to encourage you any way that we can. If we can pray for you, uh, help you, encourage you, please let us know. If you've not filled out a visitor's card, or maybe this is your first time, there's a couple ways you can do that. There's a QR code in the bulletin, or you can fill out a connection card out in the foyer. I hope as you've walked back and forth in the fellowship hall or maybe just ate in there that you noticed uh, our missions board that we have up there with our missions partners. And so what we like to do periodic times throughout the year is to focus on one of those ministry partners. And so this morning um, we're going to focus on the Coweta Pregnancy Services. Uh, their card is up there. You can learn more about them. Uh, I'll tell you in a minute Another way that we're partnering with them, uh, but Miss Ashley Thompson is going to come. Uh, she's right over there. She is on the board. Is that correct? You're on the board with Coweta Pregnancy Services. And so they have an event coming up in October uh, that we want to share with you um, in ways that you can help and partner with them. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. Good morning. As many of you know, Coweta Pregnancy Services is one of Northside's local mission partners. CPS, um, for those of you who don't know, is a nonprofit ministry that um, provides love and hope to women and men um, facing unplanned pregnancies. And they've done that here locally in Coweta County for almost 40 years. They provide free pregnancy testing, limited ultrasounds, counseling, and pregnancy and parenting education classes, as well as um, they, they um, purpose to share the gospel with everyone who comes through their doors. On Thursday, October the 26th, we will be hosting our annual fundraising gala and auction, and this is gonna be held at the Noonan Center. This event is one of the biggest fundraisers that we have each year, and it includes a catered sit-down dinner, um, live and silent auctions, and an inspirational testimony, and this year is from three clients, three local clients whose lives and hearts have been um, personally transformed through the services that CPS has provided. So how can Northside help? Uh, there are many ways. Um, first is through attendance. Um, buy a ticket and join us. I go every year, this will be my fourth year in attendance. Um, there are individual tickets available and as well as you could purchase tickets for up to a table for 10. So buy one of those and bring your friends. Um, you can, secondly, you can um, provide donations. CPS is looking for products and services um, that they can auction off during the event. As I said, there is a live auction and there are, uh, is a silent auction. So if you have a business or if you have um, just love to shop, you can go put together a gift basket um, or you could um, put uh, submit a gift card for services from your business. Corporate sponsorships are also very helpful. Um, those help to underwrite the cost of the event and are a great way to promote your business as well. You'll have um, uh, signage and billage on the, um, on the signs and in the program. 
um, and you can help us spread the word. The best way to do this is to like us on Facebook and find and share the event posts with your personal networks. And last but not least, um, certainly we, we covet your prayers. Um, please pray specifically that this event will be a success, and we ask that you also prayerfully consider in, in one of these many ways that you can help. It's going to be a wonderful evening, and I hope to see many of you there. Um, please let me know if you have any questions or if you would like additional information. I'll be milling about with my kids after the service today. So, thank you. So about a week ago, Ms. Ashley shared that they'll have three uh, clients who went through there and been blessed through Coweta County Service that'll be given testimonies. About a week ago, uh, Ms. Cindy uh, emailed me asking if I would be willing to share my story, Ryan and our story, about adoption through a pregnancy center in Florida and how instrumental uh, that they were. So um, I have an opportunity to share that story. So while you're praying, pray for me because you know I'm emotional. And when I talk about our adoption story, I'm more emotional. I don't want to be a blubbering mess when I do this. So please <laughs> pray uh, for us and that the Lord will lead us uh, what to share. Um, I am a huge proponent of the work that they do firsthand. I've seen it in in our family's life. Another way that you can help, when you came in, you probably noticed a table there. We did this last year. Uh, our youth are going to do a service project on Wednesday, uh, September 27th. And last year they took items with them. They did some work while they were there. Um, I believe they also got the pack bags and stuff to help for the, the gala. And so three items in particular they asked that we would bring. Um, baby lotion, baby wipes, unscented baby wipes, and diapers, specifically newborn, and then pull-ups. Um, that information is out there. So you have until now and probably the Sunday, I think it's the 24th of September, to bring those items. And again, it's a way for us to partner with them and the work that they're doing there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll continue uh, to sing together. Father, we thank you for the many ways, Lord, in which you are working and, and moving in our lives individually, also in the life of Northside Baptist Church and the family. God, you are stirring within our hearts. You are leading people and drawing people and using people, and we thank you for that. And Father, over the last year, we have really tried to zero in, God, on how can we be very strategic, Lord, in, in furthering the gospel with some local ministry partners. And one of those partners that you've led us through through many reasons, previous connections, relationships, and then ongoing relationships is the Coweta Pregnancy Services. Uh, thank you, Father, for the men and this women who have already helped, who've brought items in the past. Maybe they've attended this gala. Um, Father, maybe through Coweta Pregnancy Services, somebody in this room has specifically been helped at one point, or they know a friend or a family member that received counseling, uh, received guidance, received sound biblical guidance coming from a position in which they value life. Uh, Lord, to be a voice, Lord, crying out in, into the darkness, uh, a culture of death. And so, Father, we thank you for the work that they're doing, Lord, but we know there is much more work to do, much more work to do. And so, Father, raise up. Raise up men and women in this room who will maybe be interested in counseling, in helping young men and young women. Father, raise up men and women in this room who maybe, Father, will consider adoption themselves. Raise up men and women in this room who will consider fostering. 
Lord, if we're going to be people who value life, it has to be not only in the womb, yes and amen, but Father, it has to be until death. All of life matters. So help us to be men and women, Father, when we see a need, as you convict us of that and impress it upon our hearts, that we'll say, yes, Father, here am I. Send me. Use me. Bless this ministry. Bless this work. For your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Will you stand? Let's worship together.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Gina. Amen. All right, at this time, the kids are going to make their way to Children's Church. Everyone else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Esther chapter 5. So last week, we spent some time thinking about decisions. Right? Esther had a massive decision she had to make. And we see in Esther chapter 4, she, she makes that decision. She chooses to identify with the people of God. And she says, in essence, if I perish, I perish, meaning I'm going to go before the king. And if it costs me my life, then so be it. That's what I'm going to do. And so now that she's made that decision, she has to plan, right? What's this going to look like? How am I going to approach the king? When do I do it? And, and so this morning, as we read through chapter 5, what we're going to notice is we see two plans. The first part of chapter 5 focuses in on Esther. Then the second part of chapter 5 focuses in on Haman. And each of them has a plan. And what we're going to do for most of the sermon this morning is we're going to lay those plans alongside of each other to kind of compare and contrast them. But before we do that, I want to work our way through this, these verses. We're going to read all the way through chapter 5. And as we do that, there's another really important theme. And this theme is going to set us up for the next two chapters. And that theme is this idea of sudden reversals. Now, it's hard for us because most of us are familiar with Esther, but you have to imagine you're reading it for the first time. And if you're reading it for the first time, there are, there are a lot of twists and turns, right? There, there's more ups and downs than a Hallmark movie, all right, if you like Hallmark movies. You, you're, you're expecting something to happen, and then suddenly the opposite happens, and you're like, whoa, I did not see that coming. And so I know it's hard, but imagine... Imagine you're watching this unfold for the first time to kind of get the, the full impact of it. So I want to point out some of those sudden reversals. We'll kind of go through this quickly. Then we'll come back and we'll lay these two plans alongside of each other. So let's pick up. Here we go. Verse 1, Esther chapter 5. On the third day, right, Esther, after making the decision to go before the king, calls Mordecai to gather the Jews and to begin to fast. Her and the ladies begin to fast. So on the third day... Esther put on her royal robes, stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. That is sudden reversal number one. The probabilities are high that if you go into the king's presence uninvited and unannounced, it is death. This is not a merciful king. Odds are you're dying. So that's why she says, if I perish, I perish. Maybe she fully expected for the king to chop off her head or whatever that would have looked like. So sudden reversal number one is the king actually shows her mercy. There she is out of the court, the king on the throne. He sees her. He invites her in. He extends the golden scepter. He shows her mercy. But not only that, he then begins to ask her, what's wrong? Like, what's going on? How can we, how can we fix this? So that's sudden reversal 
number one. And here's the moment. Esther's about to identify with her people. The king says, right, what is your request? What's going on? And Esther says, and we expect to read, like in the words of Moses, let my people go, right? (laughs) Save my people. I'm a Jew. And what does she say? And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. Okay, right, Esther's got this plan. I get it. Maybe the king is hungry. Maybe he's hangry. And she's thinking, hey, everybody likes food. So let's invite the king and we'll feed him. But here's the sudden reversal number two that you and I don't see coming. It's who else she invites to the feast. We get why you would invite the king. There's other people around. Maybe she does not want other people to hear of what the king had done. Maybe she wants to bring the king into private. But she also invites Haman, the enemy of the Jews. But you would not see that coming. That's a sudden reversal. That's sudden reversal number two. And then we continue. Verse 6, and as they were drinking, so Haman and the king go to the feast, and as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Here's the moment, the moment we've been waiting for, the moment Esther says, let my people go. And what does she say? Then Esther answered, my wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, Let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Any of y'all ever watch shows, and it comes on right once a week, and you get to the end of the episode, and up pops those words, to be continued, dot, 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 dot. You're like, come on. Right, when we come to the end of verse 8, this is a to be continued moment. They've been to one feast. She now invites the king and Haman to come back to a second feast. And then what the author does is he pauses right there. He now will zero in on Haman and a story with Haman that's going to set us up for what's to come. And then when you come to chapter 6, he's going to zero in on the king and a story that's going to set us up for what's to come in chapter 7. So you got to kind of put a pin there, hold that. Now he turns to Haman. Verse 9. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. Joyful and glad of heart. Here's sudden reversal number three, and that's Haman's change of mood. Haman goes out that day, joyful, glad of heart. You can understand why. He was just invited and had a feast with two of the most important people in the kingdom, the king and queen, and nobody else was there. You'd be feeling pretty good about yourself too. And he got invited to come back the next day. Like he's probably walking out, looking at all these people, thinking, oh, yeah, you weren't there, and uh, you weren't there, and Curtis wasn't there, and, and we certainly thought Curtis would be there, right? It's just them. So he's feeling good. Now watch this. Sudden reversal. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, this is about to set us up for something, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Here's the deal. The first time when, when Haman gets really angry, Mordecai doesn't bow. Now he doesn't even stand. Think about the times in which you and I stand out of respect. The national anthem, we stand out of respect. If you're in the courtroom and a judge comes in, it is not wise. I would not recommend you stay seated. You stand. It's respectful. And and Mordecai doesn't even stand 
for Haman now. And he's livid. And it says he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. He goes from joyful, glad of heart, maybe skipping and dancing, to he sees Mordecai, and now he's enraged. He's in a bad mood. We continue. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. That's a shock in and of itself. He restrains himself. Right? He goes home. He sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And we're going to come back to these verses, so we're just going to go through them quickly. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, how he had advanced them above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, and we'll come back to this too, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the, with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Notice verse 13. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Haman is upset. He doesn't like the fact that Mordecai is alive. He hates him. He's got a group of friends and his wife there. He's fuming. And so they say, hey, we got an idea. Why don't you build gallows 70, 75 feet high? The gallows, there's some debate as to what they would have actually been. Would they have been the gallows that we're used to seeing like in the movie Robin Hood with Kevin Costner? Um, where like literally they would hang them by rope. Or many people believe when it's talking about the gallows back here, it would have been more of like a stake and they would have staked people to it. Like it would have been a slow, agonizing death, like maybe an early form of crucifixion, but without the hands, just like driven right through the chest and staked there for them, for people to see them. They're like, hey, why don't you do this? And Mordecai and Haman, without even thinking, is like, that's a great idea. And it says he began to have the gallows made. Now, this is important because of a couple reasons. One, it seems like every time we take one step forward, we now take two steps back. The king has just shown Esther favor. And just a few verses later, now the one who has raised her, taken care of her, is going to be killed the next day. But here's what the author is really doing. He is setting you up for the biggest sudden reversal in all of this book. He's setting the stage for what's going to happen, chapter 6 into chapter 7. And so as we get in there, we're going to see this massive sudden reversal. So what we've noticed is you got two plans. Esther's got a plan. Haman's got a plan. Now what I want to do for the rest of our time is we think about our decisions and the plans that we make. Let's lay them alongside of one another and let's see how different they are. Five things I want you to notice. Number one, Esther's plan comes from a place of prayer. Haman's plan comes from a place of rage. What does Esther do? She's seeking the Lord. She's fasting. She's praying. She is patiently waiting on the third day, going back to the, the last verses of chapter 4. right? She is, she's depending on the Lord. She's waiting, and then she acts. She's praying, and then she acts. Sometimes what we do is we just take off and start acting without waiting. Anybody guilty? Like, we just do it, and we should have waited. But here's what else we do sometimes. We pray, but we never act. We pray, we pray, we pray, but then we don't ever act upon that. Esther is praying, 
And now she's acting upon that prayer. It's coming from that place. Now, what about Haman? Haman's plan to have Mordecai killed comes from a place of wrath and anger. Like he is livid at Mordecai and he wants him dead. It is never good to make a decision when you are angry. I'm going to ask some personal questions of you today. When's the last time you made a decision out of anger and it turned out well? And if it did turn out well, it was all by God's grace. Like when we make decisions out of anger, it never works out for us. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So just think about your life. Think about some of the decisions you make. Maybe a decision you're thinking about making right now. Are you coming from a place of, I'm going to wait upon the Lord? I'm going to seek his face? Or are you just, I'm just going to run ahead of the Lord? I'm not going to wait upon him. Or maybe you're making a decision because you're angry. That's the first difference. Here's the second difference. Esther's decision comes from a place of selflessness. Haman's from a place of selfishness. Remember, when this starts in chapter 4, Esther's mentality is, I can't go to the king. If I go to the king, I'm dead. I, I know what's awaiting me. And so she's really thinking about herself. But then there's a switch based upon Mordecai's words to her. There's a switch. And so now she becomes more concerned with the people of God. And if I perish, I perish. She's no longer concerned with her safety. If she's concerned with her safety, she just takes the chance by saying nothing, laying low in hopes that nobody finds out she's a Jew. She doesn't do that. She identifies with the people of God. And so she's making this decision, this plan, out of one of selflessness. If I perish, I perish, but I'm going to identify with the people and I'm going to take a stand. Now consider Haman. Haman cares only about himself. I don't want you to think about this. All of this is because of one man. An entire people in this province are going to be killed because Haman despises Mordecai. And now the gallows are going to be built because Haman despises Mordecai. All of this because one man refused to bow and refused to stand. So listen, not, listen, not only is it foolish to make decisions out of anger, it is also foolish to make decisions for selfish reasons. Listen to the scripture, Psalm 119.36, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Philippians 2.3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. James 3.16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Let me read that again. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now listen, sometimes plans change. And we have to be flexible, we have to adapt to that. But for a minute, I want you to think about your own life. Where in your life and in your relationships do you see dysfunction, disharmony, disorder, chaos? Where do you see it? And at its core... What's happening is somebody in that relationship is acting selfishly. 
They are not. If both parties are considering others more important than themselves, there's going to be peace. They may not agree on everything, but there'll be peace. They'll work together. But where one person in the party is saying, it's all about me, I'm making selfish decisions, there is chaos and disorder. Maybe you see it at work. Maybe you see a boss that's just making selfish decisions. Like you're thinking, you're not really thinking through this. You're just doing what you want, and it's chaos. Maybe in your marriage. One of the two spouses is just acting selfishly, putting selfish, unrealistic expectations on the other, and there's disharmony. Maybe in your relationship with your child, an adult child or a five-year-old, if there's disorder and disharmony, it's because one of them is acting selfishly. So here's the challenge for you. If you can pinpoint a relationship in your life where there's disorder, disharmony, chaos, here's the challenge. Is it because of you? Are you the one acting selfishly? Are you the one demanding everybody else bow down to you and do what you want? And if it's you, you have but one option if you're a follower of Jesus, and that is to repent right now. That is to confess your sinfulness, your selfishness. It is to go to them and say, forgive me. I'm, I'm being foolish. I'm being selfish. I'm the cause of this. It's to go make it right. If it's the other person, it's a little more limited on your part. If you're the cause, you can go make it right right now. Like when the service is over, go make it right. But if it's the other person, you live long enough to know you can't change anybody. You can't force anybody not to be selfish. You can't force your 5-year-old, your 15-year-old, your 45-year-old son or daughter not to be selfish. So what do you do? Right? You go to the Lord on their behalf. You pray. You ask for a softening of heart. You ask for Jesus to save them. You ask for Jesus to change them. And in that, you're just going to love. You're going to show grace. You're going to show as much mercy as you can. You're going to try to work through it. But understanding, ultimately... The cause of that division and dissension might be their selfishness, and there's nothing you can do to change that. But are you making decisions out of selflessness or selfishness? Third, and this is the key, Esther's decision plan comes from a place of humility. Haman's comes from a place of pride. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Esther here is functioning from a place of humility, casting herself upon the Lord, willing to risk her life for the people of God. Haman? Haman has to be one of the most arrogant and proud men in all of Scripture. He is arrogant. He is proud. Esther knows this. And part of what she's doing is she's playing on this. Her plan is genius. Now, it's slow. Like, we want it to be over with. Like, just do it. But there's intentionality here for Esther. I like what Warren Wearsby writes. As long as Esther's enemy was overconfident, she knew it would lead to a fall. So how overconfident is Haman? Well, look what he says in verse 11. I told you we'd come back to these verses. Haman gets his friends together, gets his wife together. And verse 11 says, Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches. I could just see him ticking off all of his riches, and they're having to listen to him. The number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, 
and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Just look at all that I've done. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. Nobody else was there but the king and Esther and myself. Not even C.P. Curtis Patton was there. He wasn't even there. Just like bragging. And some of you, some of me thought Curtis was alive back then, right? Sorry. Uh, sorry. Man, last week, if you were at the North South Got Talent, they picked on Curtis and his age. He's only like 45, right, brother? Something like that. So, right, no, nobody else. He's just bragging. Listen to, listen to some Proverbs. Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Listen to what Prime writes. Pride is one of the greatest sins because it makes us treat God's gifts as if they rightly belong to us and were created by us. Our pride robs God of his right to be acknowledged as the source of all the good we know and enjoy. Haman is taking all the credit for himself. Look at all that I have done. And yet one guy will not acknowledge all of this. Now here's the reality. All of us in this room struggle with pride to some extent. All of us. And all of us in this room should strive for more humility. So when you hear a message on pride or a word on pride, you can never probably get to the place where you're like, oh yeah, I don't need that. Because that's pride right there. Right? So we need more and more humility. And so here we see Haman, arrogant, proud, Esther knows it, and the reality is this is going to be his downfall. His pride will be his downfall. Now look at verse 13. Yet all this is worth nothing to me. Imagine how his friends felt. Imagine how his wife felt. Imagine how his sons felt. He was just a moment ago bragging upon all of his sons. And now he says, yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. The NET translation says, yet all of this fails to satisfy me so long as I have to see Mordecai. In other words, what Haman is saying is I've got all this stuff and I can't enjoy it. None of it is satisfying. It's not enough as long as that man right there is still alive. Joyce Baldwin writes, all his gains are outweighed by one killjoy. See, Haman has another problem, and that's idolatry. Haman, at the end of the day, really is worshiping himself. And hear me, everybody in the kingdom could have bowed before him, and it wasn't enough because one man refused to give me the praise and the credit and the respect that I deserve. He's worshiping himself. Why? Because pride always leads to idolatry. Worship me, or I'm going to worship this thing. Barclay, in his commentary, writes, Pride is the ground in which all the other sins grow, and the parent from which all the other sins come. Pride leads to every other sin in our life, including the sin of idolatry. When we are blinded by pride and driven by idolatry, we sin against God and we hurt other people. Haman says, all of this is worth nothing to me because of this one man. And 
I wonder if you would say that this morning in all honesty. You know, pastor, I've got all of these things in my life, all of these gifts. I've got a relationship with Jesus. I mean, the God has blessed me. And at the end of the day, we sang about it in Graves to Gardens. It still does not satisfy me. I'm not satisfied. And the reality is you're not satisfied because if you're going to be honest, your God is something besides Jesus. I heard something this week that was profound. I shared it with the guys that I'm meeting with weekly in, in discipleship group. Um, so this past week they had the memorial service for, for Tim Keller. He passed away like a month ago, and I didn't get to watch the service, but people were posting all sorts of stuff on Twitter. And I saw somebody post a video, a 45-second clip of Tim Keller from several years ago, and he was talking about his wife. And anytime a pastor talks about his wife, I'm just, I'm just drawn in because how much I, I love my wife. And so this is, this is what Keller said. He was talking about his marriage with his spouse. He said, the reality is, because the temptation in every marriage of ours is to elevate our spouse above God, to put them in a place where only God should be. Then he said, the reality is, my wife and I know that one of us is going to be in that casket at some point, and the other is going to be outside the casket looking in. It happened to be that he would be in the casket first. He said, and here's what happens. If if when you're standing there looking over the casket, if your Savior is in the casket and is dead, then there is no one who is now here to help you walk through that grief. If your wife is your Savior, or your husband is your Savior, or your child is your Savior, or finances is your Savior, or your health is your Savior, all of those things are transient. They all pass away. And if your Savior dies, you have nothing left. You have nothing. So here's the good news. My Savior has already died. And he's raised from the dead and he's never dying again. He's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He's coming for me again. If your hope is in Jesus, then whatever happens around you, as hard as it will be, you still have hope. So if Jesus is your God, if he's the one you're worshiping, then you're on solid ground. But if you're worshiping anything else but Jesus, hear me, hear the words of Haman, it'll be nothing. It'll never satisfy you. It'll never be enough because only Jesus can be who and what you need. Fourth, Esther. Esther's plan quickly comes from a place of life. Haman's comes from a place of death. I mean, obviously, Esther values life. She values her people. It's why she's willing to risk her own life. Haman has no value for life whatsoever. I mean, one verse. This may have been a 30-second conversation. Hey, Haman, this is what you should do. Build the gallows. Do it tonight. Tomorrow, let's kill Mordecai. He doesn't even stop to think about it. He's like, yep, sounds good to me. That's coming from somebody who does not value life. That quickly... If you can tell the king, hey, king, there's a pe group of people, man, we should kill them all, and the king doesn't even ask who. The king's like, yep, do it. And then they sit down to drink. These two men don't value life. Listen, you and I live in a culture of death. We live in a culture of death. From the womb to the end of life, we are living in a culture that says we don't care, we don't value life. And in the midst of that darkness, you and I are to shine as light. We shine as light saying, no, listen, all life is valuable. All of life has meaning. All of life has purpose. From the womb to the tomb, we're standing for life. And Esther is willing to risk her own life if it means other people will live. 
That's how we need to be willing to live. I'll lay down my life. Many of you in this room, you've done that through serving this country. You were willing to lay down your life so that we could live. You were willing to lay down your life for the principles and the values that you believe this country was founded upon. Thank you for that. Thank you for being willing. And men and women that are not in this room, they're not in this room because they laid down their life for this country. That's what it looks like to say, hey, this is what matters, and I'm willing to give my life to it. And then lastly, Esther's plan comes from God. Haman's plan comes from Satan. The plan of God is to save and deliver his people. That's God's plan. He made a covenant with Abraham. Then Isaac, then Jacob, continuing. He's going to deliver his people. Haman's plan is coming from Satan. Now, we talked about this weeks ago. He probably doesn't know it. He doesn't know he's a pawn in Satan's hand, but, but what, does Satan, what does it say about Satan in the New Testament? He is to steal, kill, and destroy. That is Satan's plan. So let me ask you this question. Whose plan are you carrying out? We need, brothers and sisters, to follow the Lord's plan and to follow the Lord's timing even if we do not fully understand either of them. Landon Dowden writes, The Lord is not the only one who makes plans, but he is the only one whose plans will be fully accomplished. He's the only one whose plans will be fully accomplished. God is sovereign and his plan to save Esther and her people will not be thwarted. And God's plan to rescue a people through his son, Jesus Christ, will not be thwarted. So what do we need? And we need hope. Because the reality is everyone in this room, we've made decisions that we regret. We, our plans, we realize, man, this wasn't God's plan. This was my plan. Or we struggled through things. We don't understand them. We, we have questions. We're uncertain. Or maybe we're filled with pride. Or maybe we're being selfish. Or maybe you're thinking, man, I'm, I made an angry decision two days ago. When you're dealing with that regret, we need forgiveness and we need hope. So let me draw your attention to verse 1 as we close. Chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, on the third day. The deliverance of God's people is initiated on what day? The third day. A midrash, a Jewish commentary on Esther, notes that Esther's three days of fasting can be compared to three days that Jonah spent in the belly of the fish and the three days Abraham spent believing he'd have to kill Isaac. Redemption, the midrash tells us, comes on the third day. Now look at verse 2. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. The scepter in the hands of the king held the power of life and death. If he extends the scepter, then it's life and it's grace that leads to life. If he withholds the scepter, it is wrath that leads to death. Brothers and sisters, I think this reminds us and is pointing us to the deliverance and the grace and the mercy that we have in Jesus Christ. This is a picture of God's grace. We think about the cross. The cross of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is ever before us. Karen Jobes writes, This scene pictures a gracious act of a king who holds life and death power. Had God not extended the cross of Jesus Christ to the world, all would die in his presence. On the third day after the final judgment transpired on the cross, Jesus Christ arose to imperishable life, guaranteeing safety to enter God's presence to all who reach out in faith to touch that cross-shaped scepter. And then I love what Ian DeGuide writes. 
God can hold out the golden scepter of favor to us only because the fierce rod of his judgment has fallen upon Jesus Christ. The only reason you and I can receive God's grace and God's mercy is because his wrath was poured out upon Jesus in our place. And so what decision am I calling you to make today? Well, first and foremost, it's this. Have you ever made the decision to come before Jesus, to cast yourself before him and to say, Jesus, forgive me. My only hope to stand before the Father is through your blood, your dying in my place, your being my mediator. Have you ever confessed your pride, ever confessed your selfishness, ever confessed the fact that you've got these sins in your life that have separated you from God the Father? And you cannot, no matter how hard you try, work your way to Jesus. Your grade is always going to be an F. You have failed. But Jesus stood in your place. Jesus perfectly kept the law that you could not. He gets an A. He's the perfect sacrifice. His blood poured out for you and me so that you can be forgiven and made right with him. It all comes down to Jesus. Have you given your life to Jesus? That's first and foremost. Now, I know most of you in this room have given your life to Jesus. I pray all of you have. If you haven't, do that today. If you have, then understand that when you begin to follow Jesus, that changes everything about your life, including the decisions you make. You and I are to live our lives from a place, right, of waiting upon the Lord, of praying, of fasting, of seeking his face. We are to live our lives in a place where, where we're living for people out of selflessness and not selfishness. Because Jesus is king and we want to live for him. We, we live our lives right in a way where we value life and not death. Where we value humility and not pride. And where we say at the end of the day, what I want for my life, what I want for my spouse's life, what I want for my children's life is that they would know and do the will of God. Not my will, not my plans. But at the end of the day, I want them to be faithful and obedient to what God has laid upon their heart and what God has called them to do. And our job as brothers and sisters is to come alongside others on the mountaintops and in the valleys when they understand the plan of God and when they don't and simply just to be there. Reminding them from one generation to the next of the works that God has done. Of allowing yourself, as we talked about yesterday in the men's ministry breakfast, to be vulnerable, to be open. When somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm struggling with this, or I don't know what to do here. If you've walked through that season of life, not to say, I know what you're feeling, but to say, hey, I've gone through something similar, and here's what I know. There is deliverance in the name of Jesus. There is grace in the name of Jesus. There is hope in the name of Jesus. And we stand there as we all seek to follow the plan that God has for our lives. So do you know Jesus? And can you say today you are striving to walk in obedience to his plan and his purpose for your life? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you as sinners. And we cast ourselves upon you right now in your mercy and your grace. Father, for there have been times in our life where we identify with Esther. We remember waiting and praying and seeing, God, you open doors and we begin to walk through those doors in faithfulness. And then, Father, there have been other times where we have run ahead of your will. We have made hasty decisions. And, Lord, we've, we've had to repent. We've had to maybe deal with consequences. 
Father, there's been moments in our life where we've been on the mountaintops and things were great. And there's been other times that we've been in the valley. And Father, we simply do not understand what you are doing and what is taking place in our life. And so, Father, the good news for us today is that wherever we are presently, Jesus, you'll meet us right there. Right there, you will be present. Right there, you are available. Right there, you say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, Jesus, we simply come. We're going to sing 10,000 reasons. There are 10,000 reasons for us to come, 10,000 reasons to praise you. Father, right now, we just need one, and that is you invite us to come. So if there's anybody here struggling, anybody here walking through some difficult things, needing wisdom, needing guidance, oh Lord, may they just reach out. May they cry out to you first and foremost. May they reach out to a brother or sister in Christ. And may we all seek just to walk in obedience, to live out your purposes and your plans for our life. And part of that plan is Jesus, you're going to save people and you want us to be your mouthpiece. You want us to spread the gospel. So, Father, may we be obedient to that this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. The altar is open. I'm here at the front. If the Spirit is leading you, you come as we worship together. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship His holy Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy your holy 
is failing, the end draws near, and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forever. Some announcements. We got a, a busy evening ahead, so let me quickly run through what that's going to look like. At 4:15, we have an Awana leaders meeting. So if you are a leader uh, helping with Awana, please uh, be here at 4:15. Um, Awana starts at 5:25. Uh, parents, grandparents, if you're bringing your child to Awana, we need you to come in the sanctuary and stay for that part. Um, at least for tonight, so we can go over some things. If you have not filled out one of these papers for your kids, go ahead and grab one of those. They're out there in the welcome desk. It'll save you time later. So that starts at 525. We have youth that starts at 545. And then at 6 p.m. right here in the sanctuary, uh, David Mazin is beginning a study to the book of Revelation. And so I encourage you to be here. That's going to be recorded and should be uploaded sometime tomorrow. And so through Realm, I'll send out a link as to where you can access those week in and week out. Um, we got to figure out the best way to pick up the audio. Hopefully what we're doing tonight will work and it'll be, it'll be smooth sailing. But uh, we'll, we'll send that out tomorrow. Uh, Thursday, we have our Senior Friends Monthly Luncheon. Uh, please sign up on your way out. The sign-up board is right there to your left. Next Sunday night, we have our church conference. Volunteers are needed for children's ministry, particularly the nursery, children's church. If you um, are able and willing to help, please uh, see that. We have a Bible study starting in a week and a half, all that information there. And then we have a, our next membership class is going to be September 10th at 9.15 a.m. in the Fellowship Hall during Sunday school. You can sign up for that. If you've joined since the last class or you are interested in joining, you want to learn more, this is the starting point. This is the first step. Come to that class um, on that Sunday. All right, our deacon of the week is Mr. Mike. Sorry, I forgot who it was. It's Mike. Come on, Mike. Will you close us with a word of prayer? All right, if you will stand. Also, deacons, we have a meeting tonight at 7.15 following our evening activities. Thank you, Mike. Before we close in prayer, 
Karen Blackstock, I think, found the men's ring back in that say it's okay. I'll see you after church. <laughs> All right. Taking we're taking that care of. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we we just are amazed at you and what you can do through through people everywhere that love you. We appreciate the the gift of grace. And we just uh, hope that you hold us responsible for the way that we approach you. Let us be a, a selfless lover for everyone. To think more of other people than we do ourselves and our plans and just to, to live to make others know you and see you through us. Thank you for this time of worship and bless those who made it today to enjoy corporate worship with good preaching from Aaron. Just uh, be with us the rest of the day, Lord, and bring us back this evening to, to open up Awana and worship you in that way and just serve you in that way, Lord. Thank you again for this beautiful weather, for all that you do in this place and outside of this place. For us in Christ's name I pray. Amen.